0: Hi, this is Sam Chamberlain and welcome to Things to Ponder, the sermon podcast from St. Mary's United Church of Christ in Silver Run, Maryland. Follow along with St. Mary's at stmarysucc.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Wishing you peace and good, my friends. Ha, gotta tell you, it's nice to be back in the pulpit. I know I had that one Sunday kind of stuck in there and but the garden blessing made all that kind of weird. So it's just nice. All right, I got a runway. We can, I can get back into it. It feels good to be back and to stretch the legs again after an eventful few weeks. Though I got to tell you that my regret, in so many ways, and we've had some wonderful things to do and some wonderful folks have been able to share with you. But my regret is that I haven't sort of been able to walk Easter with you. We do Easter But like we did all that Lent, we might as well do the the other part of it too. We might as well have some fun on Easter and there's a lot, there's so much fun in preaching the the readings in the Sundays of Easter. Because if Lent is how we live in the light of the crucifixion, then the season of Easter asks us how we live in the light of the resurrection. And on this side of Easter, Our song wants to lean in one direction. We don't forget about crucifixion, but it wants to lean in the direction of celebration and glory and victory. Thine is the glory, risen, conquering son. Endless is the victory. Thou or death has won. We're not done with that message. We're not done with like, okay, yeah, we did Easter and we had all the flowers. No, 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 that remains central to who we are. And in these Sundays, we continue to remember that Christ has taken on the sin of the world. He has nailed it to the cross. He has carried it all the way to hell. We say death. We're like, nope, all the way to hell and has risen to the newness of life. And in doing this, he has saved us. He has made it possible to experience the full kingdom of God, both now and for eternity. This is what Jesus is hinting at. Prior to his crucifixion, when he says, In my father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. This is the great promise of Easter. Where I am, you might be also. And sometimes that is the cross, and sometimes that is hell itself, and sometimes that is the far side of resurrection. And so our prayer is simple in this season. Amen. Let it be so. Let us live in the light of God's glory, in the assurance of Christ's companionship, inspired by the Holy Spirit's life and power. That's what we want, right? We want Easter to matter. We want Easter to pop. We want Easter not just to be a day, we want it to be a lifestyle, we want it to be a way of being. And so my question for you, and I finally got to sit down with this, again, because I haven't been preaching the last couple weeks, is what does it look like? What does it look like to live in the reality of Easter? And I sat down to try to write that out, like, all right, Easter life, resurrection life, what does that mean? And I tried scribbling it out a little bit come to find out this is a much harder exercise than it sounds like. Because it goes beyond, you know, well, my life would be a little easier and this, that. And this. No, what would the world look like? I found that to be difficult. Because Jesus, when he says, I go to prepare a place for you, there is a place, there is a there there. But Jesus is describing something that we've never known, right? And we can only know it mystically through revelation Jesus is describing the coming kingdom but we're still trying to get our minds around what exactly is he talking about And it can be tricky sometimes because when we don't understand the kingdom that Jesus is bringing, we don't understand resurrection life, we're like, well, we try to shrink it down to make it something that kind of makes sense. And the problem is, is sometimes some of our worst impulses as believers, and I'm looking at you, both ancient crusaders and modern nationalists, some of our worst impulses as believers is because we try to shrink down the kingdom into something we can understand, something that does make sense to us, something that is practical and attainable. And in this way, we find ourselves yet again in the company of my friend and yours, St. Thomas. My heart broke. I didn't get to do the doubting Thomas thing. It's one of my favorite sermons all year long. I didn't get to do that, but we're going to do a little Thomas today because Thomas is our friend who asked precisely the question that Easter asks of us. Lord, we do not know where you are going. We don't know what this looks like. Where is it? Can you point to it on a map? Can you tell us what we're supposed to do? We do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Thomas is you and me. I hear the promise. I don't know how to get there. I hear the promise. I don't know how to get there. Maybe we struggle with that too. Jesus, we're on the backside of Easter. What is it supposed to look like? We've, and Friends, we have never seen what life looks like on the far side of death. We have only ever known a world of brokenness, and sin, injustice, and sadness. We don't know what it looks like completely when sin is forgiven. We don't know what it looks like when there is liberation for all. We don't yet know what it looks like when there is justice for all. We don't know what compassion looks like in full bloom. We have these little pictures. We have these little glimpses. But what happens when that is the rule rather than the exception? We don't yet know. It might as well be a world where the sky is orange, the trees are purple, the water is red, and the cows are blue. Like, wait, what? That is so foreign to me. Yes, the world that Jesus comes to bring will look foreign to us. But this not need be a cause for anxiety. Because elsewhere in the scripture, St. Paul writes about this. And he goes, you know what? You know when that moment when you can't figure out what Jesus is trying to get us to? St. Paul says it's cool. He says, no eye has seen, nor, nor ear heard, nor human imagination envisioned what God has prepared for those who love him. We don't have to stress. And Paul's saying, you're never going to quite get there, and that's okay. But the question remains for us. Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And it is to this question, I believe Jesus anticipated it, it's to this question that Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. Deep breath, everybody, is I think what Jesus might say. And here's what's funny about this. You look into what Jesus actually said. He said, let not your, plural, heart singular. He says, y'all are in this battle together. All y'all share a singular heart. Don't let that heart, followers of Jesus, don't let that heart, church, don't let that heart, universal church throughout the world, do not let that heart be troubled. We're gonna be all right. We're gonna be all right. Take a deep breath. Jesus says, you have faith in God, have faith in me. I got you, I got you, we're gonna get through this. And you're gonna catch a glimpse of, what, of this world that I'm coming, that I'm bringing. You're gonna catch a glimpse of it. We got this. Thomas says, how can we know the way? And this is when Jesus says these so famous words. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to this kingdom, no one, comes to this eternity that we anticipate, except through me. Jesus, in this way, gives us three powerful metaphors. Way, truth, and life. Some of you are going, uh-oh, he said metaphor. That sounds like a language arts class. Well, maybe a little bit, just for a moment. Metaphors seek to bring to life that which is not fully tangible. Hear that again. Metaphor sync to bring to life, make something tangible that otherwise is not tangible. Because friends, our lives are both irreducibly tangible. We live our lives in buildings and bodies and sand between the toes and coins in the cup holder. All of our lives are tangible. The pews that we sit in, the clothes that we wear, the hand that we're holding this morning as we worship. Our lives are irreducibly tangible, but they are also irreducibly intangible. As much as we sit on pews and wear clothes and eat food, so also our lives are built on love and hope and status and anxiety and peace and all the things we can't name but we are just as real as the things we can touch. We are both these things, right? This is the life we live. And they are not separate worlds or realities. They are the same reality, but our minds struggle to comprehend it all. And if we want to live well, We need to be able to connect the tangible and the intangible in a livable way. How do we live love? How do we live hope? How do we understand peace? How do we understand joy? We got to connect that to something we can touch. And that's what metaphor does. Metaphor forces me not just to think, but to act. Because you cannot look up a metaphor Good luck trying. Go look up, baby, you're a firework, and see what the definition of that is. Go look up, you are my sunshine, my only sunshine. No, I am not actually the thing that shines in the sky and gives light to you. No, it's a metaphor. Good luck looking up on this rock, I will build my church. Peter is not actually a rock. But these metaphors indicate something. They point us in an intangible reality with a tangible connection. And in order to understand these, you've got to get involved. You've got to try it out. You have to think about it, consider it, and then act it out. And It is only in the living of a metaphor that reality becomes real, where we become present to our total selves, tangible and intangible. And it is in the living out of the metaphor that we become present to the reality of God. And so Jesus gives us three He says, I am the way. Jesus is not actually a path in the forest. But this hints back at what Jesus' original command was to us. The first thing Jesus ever said to us was, follow me. That's what he said to his disciples. He didn't know them. He didn't, just you, follow me. What am I supposed to do? Follow me. What does that mean? Follow me. And in the following of Jesus, we don't get a map. We get footsteps that we get to place our feet in. Consider then, if we would follow after Jesus, we experience the reality of these coming, consider where Jesus went and who he talked to and what he loved and what he rejected. We want to walk in the way that Jesus walked. But way doesn't just mean a path. Way also means a style or a type or a kind. You know, like, How's the way you dress, or the way you speak, or the way you appear, or the way you behave? When Jesus says, I am the way, he's saying, yes, follow after me. But he's also saying, there is a style and a way of being, a way of showing up in the world that looks a lot like Jesus. Show up in the world like Jesus does. I am the way. Jesus claims to be the truth, and this is where it gets a little dicey, because Truth is a funny thing these days. But Jesus makes no bones about it. He claims to be the truth of God. He says, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. What Jesus is saying, he's like, for all the truths you believe, for all the realities you hold, he says, I am the reality of heaven and earth. You want to know what is true? It is Jesus. This is what Jesus claims. And he says that he is the truth over and against other things that would make claims on truth, power, status, Money, politics, all those things want to be truth. They are poor facsimiles of actual truth. In fact, we remember back where it was Pontius Pilate, our old buddy Pilate. Pilate lived all these things. Pilate lived power. Pilate lived status. Power, Pilate lived money. Pilate lived politics. And with all of those behind him and in him, When he came face to face with Jesus, he still had the confusion to ask, what is truth? And staring back at Pilate was the one who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus, meek and mild, the nonviolent lover of the poor, who said, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Jesus says, I am the truth. Jesus is what God looks like. Jesus is what God looks like. In seeing Jesus, this is what Jesus says to Philip. He says, in seeing me, you have seen God. Fully manifested. Fully made real. And that is the truth that will set us free. Where everything else wants to bind us. And finally, I am the life. Consider Jesus's life and consider the fact that Jesus lived and how that has impacted world history Consider the impact of Jesus's existence what came about because of the way he walked and the convictions he held Consider what remarkable things came about as a result of Jesus' life. And think about how so many things have had to happen in somebody's life that went to somebody else's life, that was shared with somebody else to the point that you and I today are still doing this exchange of Jesus' life. We're still talking about it. Consider what remarkable things happened so that we might yet tell these stories again. Consider how many lives have been changed because of the presence of Jesus. And consider the way that your life has changed because Jesus has been a part of it in some way. Consider what you've experienced when Jesus' way and the Jesus' truth became life in you. Jesus says, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. If we would know a world of resurrection, and if we would be a church that proclaims a world of resurrection, then our paths... Our truths and our lives must be properly formed. You're like, how do we do that? The answer is Jesus. Not Jesus inspired or Jesus influenced or Jesus adjacent. No, 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 no. The answer is Jesus. The church has got to be fascinated once again with the life and the truth and the way of Jesus Christ. One author put it this way. He says, it's when the Jesus way is wedded to the Jesus truth is when we get the Jesus life. And that's what we seek, right? The Jesus life, the one that is resurrection, the one that is life on the far side of death. Jesus way wedded to the Jesus truth brings about the Jesus life. He writes, we can't proclaim the Jesus truth, but then do it any old way we like. No, the way matters. Nor can we follow the Jesus way without speaking the Jesus truth. Way, truth, and life together will give us a glimpse of the kingdom that is here now and the kingdom that is yet to come. And he calls us beyond our ways and our truths and our lives. But when we are formed in the way of Jesus, in the truth of Jesus, then we experience Jesus in our own bodies. We experience resurrection, forgiveness, love, and joy, and abundance. And this is where Jesus says... The one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. When that Jesus life is in us, something happens in us and around us that is powerful and unexplainable, but it is real. And Jesus says, when you are formed in the way, truth, and life, you will do the works that I do. And that is a message full of hope and full of joy. I still can't wait to see what is going to come out of me when I finally decide one day I'm going to follow after Jesus. Who knows what that will look like? Let's go find out. Now, to be clear, for many years, I've heard these verses aimed at others. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so grab them by the scruff of the neck and say, You better believe. I've heard these verses aimed at others for so long. But notice that Jesus does not offer these verses to the unbelieving or to the non-followers. Jesus only offers these words to his closest friends. These are not words for the world. They're words for us, the ones who would follow after Jesus. They're for the church. These are words for our shared single heart. And Jesus says, no one gets to the Father except through him. Friends, we can't experience the Jesus life unless we are fascinated and fall back in love with Jesus, crucified, resurrected, and ascended and anticipating one day coming back again. We can't go around Jesus. We can't just fly past Easter as we wave and say, thanks for the cross, buddy. No, 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 no. A new world is born in us as we come to follow, believe, and live as Jesus did. And this is our shared path, our shared truth. And our shared life. And it's a daily choice, morning by morning. But when we fix our eyes on Christ, when we allow our fascination to grow, when we stop in our work and just say, well, how is this shaped by Jesus? I hate to, I almost hate to say it, but what would Jesus do? Or what has Jesus done? What is Jesus doing in the world? When we ask that question and then follow, that is when stuff starts to get weird that's when the sky gets orange and the water gets green and the grass turns orange. And, but it's awesome. We don't know what it's going to look like, but we can find out together. And we get a peek at what Jesus offers. And finally, he says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And if you pull that verse out of context, you're going to use it wrong. I'm telling you right now. It's at the end of this reading for a reason. It's not a promise of rub the genie bottle and you'll get what you want. No, Jesus is saying when we are shaped like Christ, when we think like Christ, and we follow after Christ, when we are formed in that way, our prayers will be changed too. And our prayers will start to look more like Jesus' prayers. And when we pray Jesus' prayers, Jesus says those are the prayers I will make sure I answer. So today, on the table, Behind me here, we have another metaphor. We've been talking about metaphors all day. Way, truth, and life. We've got two more that we're about to receive. Bread and wine. Two metaphors that are an attempt to connect the visible and the invisible. To connect the tangible and intangible realities of our faith into a coherent and livable whole. Bread and wine becomes for us the way. A way of simplicity, generosity, liberation for all. Bread and wine for us becomes truth. This is my body. This is my blood. Where is Jesus? He promised he was right here. I don't know how, but he promised he was here. And bread and wine is also life. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. There is abundant life made present here, not because we're special, but because Jesus says, I'll give it to you. That's what this meal is all about. And in bread and wine, we simply receive Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. So, friends, here in just a couple minutes, come and taste and see, and let us wonder at Christ yet again, and in wondering, may we follow after him into the world that he comes to bring. Amen. Hey, St. Mary's. I wanted to spend a little time here building on yesterday's sermon and perhaps anticipating a question that maybe some of you left with. We talked yesterday about Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. And we talked about the importance of being shaped by the Jesus way, wedded to the Jesus truth, which brings us the Jesus life, how we need all of these things. And we tried to say that we need to fall back in love with Jesus. That's how we come to the Father. And Jesus says, we do that, then we will do very great works. And I hope you heard in the sermon yesterday this desire, my heart, that we would fall back in love with Jesus. But I was going back over my sermon in my head as I went home, took my nap, and then woke up and read about another shooting. I was thinking particularly about Texas, and then I read later that there was another one in our own state over in Frostburg. And I wanted to anticipate maybe even a criticism that some of you might have had about the sermon yesterday. Because in light of all that, some of you might have said, and I think rightly would have said, well, wait a second, our faith surely has to go beyond just loving Jesus to actually doing something, doing the work of Jesus, right? So the question I want to wonder about here is how can a contemplative commitment to the Jesus way, wedded to the Jesus truth, that brings us the Jesus life, How can that inform a Christ-like response to an increasingly violent society where violence and death are the norm? I heard a story once about how people are trained to identify counterfeit money. And my intuition was to say, well, you study the counterfeits, right? You're always constantly looking looking at problems, looking at how people try to cheat the system and address that. And the story said, absolutely not. What they train you to do is to learn every single detail of the original, to know every brushstroke, every detail, every line on the bill. And what they say is that once you know the original inside and out, the fakes reveal themselves. And I might suggest so it is with all who are serious about living the Jesus way, the Jesus truth and the Jesus life. It was the author of Hebrews who said, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. What the author of Hebrews is saying is that if we're serious about being Christians, we've got to know Jesus and to walk with him. We've got to know the kingdom. We've got to experience it. We've got to try it out. We've got to mess up. We've got to confess. and We've got to come back. We've got to fall in love with Jesus. We've got to get to know him. And once we start to get a picture of, the beauty and the wonder of the kingdom of Jesus, the counterfeits of the world will show themselves. And in that gap between what we believe about Jesus and what we experience in the world, it is in this gap that we discover ways to respond in step with Jesus as the way, truth, and life. This is how a contemplative life leads to meaningful and powerful action in the world. And one of my criticisms of the church right now is that sometimes we try to chase every problem, every counterfeit. We try to identify every problem of the world ahead of the process of prayer and worship and formation. And when we do that, we do precisely what we see. We break down along political and ideological lines. And when we break down along those lines, we are paralyzed in our ability to do anything mean. But if our faith is priority and our faith is deep and is practiced in community and we are formed together with a shared heart, with Christ at the center, then our action can be shaped by the person of Jesus. And that is powerful in its effects. So when I see shooting after shooting, my mind goes to the words of the prophet who said that when this kingdom comes, That you will beat your swords into plowshares and your spears into pruning hooks. When I hear about all this, I'm thinking about what Jesus said to Peter when he said, Peter, put your sword away. He who lives by the sword dies by the sword. I'm thinking when Jesus crawled up on the mountain and he offered his sermon where he said, blessed are the peacemakers. I'm thinking about the Savior who was crucified on the cross by extremists in politics, and yet... Open not his mouth. And I'm wondering, church, how much longer will we tolerate this horror? Will we live into the counterfeits of this world when Christ's resurrection teaches us a more beautiful way? It's not just on its way, it is here because Christ, in his cross and in his resurrection, have already defeated death and sin. When will Christians be willing to lay aside the tools of violence and destruction? Sometimes maybe even our rights in the service of love of neighbor. So let me be honest. The more I hear about these stories, the more I am wearied by them and I am sad about them. Not because of my politics, but because of my faith. Because every once in a blue moon, I've tasted the kingdom. And I believe in the kingdom. And I believe in the way and the truth and the life that Jesus has come to bring and that we can live right now. And so my heart breaks when we choose the counterfeits instead of the real thing. Because I long for that world, the world Jesus brings. And I want to participate with Jesus in bringing that world about. That's why I'm here. And so today, I keep praying. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And today, we do the best we can to proclaim that world and to work for that world. So friends, if you're struggling, if you're in that place where I am, where just the news is constantly a drag and it makes you sad, I invite you back into the work of prayer, not for thoughts and prayers. thoughts That phrase drives me nuts and it has almost no meaning. But I invite you back into prayer, not for thoughts and prayers, but rather to fix your eyes on Jesus yet again, the author and perfecter of our faith. And once our eyes are fixed on Jesus, we will see the gap. And in that gap, we will know the work that we are called to do. And so I pray for you this week, both as you have experiences of Jesus and you feel the burdens of this world in both. May you know Jesus's way, truth and life. May you be comforted by his presence and may you be empowered by his life.